Welcome to Artists Ideas Now. My name is Laura Marie Brown and I'm creative producer at Liverpool Arab Arts Festival. This series brings together artists, creatives and activists to address the most complex conversations of the moment. Under the theme of Nuktat Wasal, or a point of connection, we're talking to artists about translating the Arab experience and how it influences their work. In this episode, we're going to talk to Anand Tello. Anand is an artist, a writer and journalist, challenging the stereotype of the refugee, and she tells us how she reclaims her narrative in the face of discrimination and exploitation. I'm Anand, Anand Tello. I'm um, a journalist and playwright from Syria. I've been in the UK for the last almost three years, less than three years actually. And uh, most of my work focuses on how refugees are received in the Western world and how they're portrayed um, and on our experiences in general. Yeah, before you come to the UK, you're told that it's this place of um, human rights equality because like all the agreements and conventions signed here, unlike in Syria, for example. But then uh, you realize that in reality, that's not what's happening. Like, uh, you face discrimination in very covert ways, in very insidious ways that are made to um, evade um, the law or evade punishment by the law. So I think, like, the more you impose laws on discrimination, the better people get at it or at getting away with it. And because like, because I'm from Syria and I've never seen anything like this, we don't know anything about racism. Like there is racism in the Middle East, but it's a different form. We don't know about the kind of racism that goes on here. And we don't know much about white supremacy and all this stuff. And when you see the microaggressions happening to you, you, you don't know what's happening. Like I came here as an international student. I did a master's in writing for performance and I was the first headscarf-wearing student in that school at the University of Leeds. It's a big university. But at the school of uh, PCI, I was uh, PCI is Performance and Cultural Industries. I was their first woman in a headscarf. And the stares that I got from them, I recently read a book by Fanon. It's called Black Faces, White Masks. And he said that the white gaze... Sorry to use the word white, it's a construct, but like I'm just repeating their words. Uh, the white gaze dissects him. And I found that quite relatable because like it's it's very uncomfortable. It's not a gaze that's admiring your beauty, for example, or admiring your exoticness, which is not a good thing, but anyways. Um, it's a stare that's dissecting you. And it was all because I was wearing a headscarf, I think. And I have quite like what you call like uh, typical Middle Eastern features. Um, Normally like Syrians or Middle Eastern people, they look like everything. Like you can't tell, like we don't have specific features. But like I look like someone from Prince of Persia. Um, (laughs) So yeah, I, I got a lot of stares, a lot of microaggressions that I couldn't understand. Like I would be upset and indignant and angry and I didn't know why and I kept thinking no they didn't mean it I wasn't sure what they meant and then you realize like after a year and a half I learned that these are called microaggressions and I learned why they're used and they're 
they're actually like death by a thousand cuts, which is quite true. You can only tolerate it so much. Until now, I'm learning how to cope. I I don't know how to cope. And it, like I've had so many traumatic experiences because of racism and because of, because I'm a bit, I'm not what they expect. I'm not like the stereotype. Uh, they, they look at a woman in a headscarf from the Middle East, from Syria, and they expect you to sit in a corner and be quiet. But I'm quite loud and noisy and... Um, like, I, I don't know. I never noticed, actually, that I'm talkative until I came here. A lot of people in seminars at university used to say, um, not my current degree. My current degree is very, very inclusive. But the previous degree that I did in theater, they kept telling me, oh, you talk too much. Well, we're in a seminar. Shouldn't we talk? And no one else is talking. But um, I think it's just the idea. And I remember there was this class where we... Um, where all the master's students, um, they had to take it. And it was only me and another guy, the guy is English, uh, who were speaking during the seminar. And although like he was even louder than me, and he wasn't like more helpful in his um, arguments or in his um, comments, but everyone was like, oh my God, you talk too much. They said it to me. And at the, at the time, I thought it was because I'm a woman. But then I realized in this country, I'm a lot more than that. Like, not a lot more. Like, I'm reduced to a lot more than that. Like, I'm a woman in a headscarf from the Middle East, from Syria. I'm supposed to be a victim. I'm supposed to sit in a corner and cry. And sympathy, to be honest, used to make me feel extremely offended like they, they, I don't know, like, um, not compassion. Compassion is good. But like when people go like, oh, poor you, you're from Syria. Well, yeah, I'm stronger than you because I'm from Syria. That sense of the intersectionality of the discrimination that, you know, it, it isn't just about um, gender and identity, but it's also about your culture and your heritage and how you look and faith. Yeah. And we're often reduced to things like our genitals. Like I found people actually discussing my genitals or like I'm a modest woman and like I haven't been in places where we discuss a person's genitals, like whether at a university or at work or people would think sometimes, someone told me once that they thought I had female genital mutilation and that never happens in the Middle East as far as I know. And even where it happens, like in small villages, remote villages in Egypt, it's illegal and it's banned by churches and by mosques. But I found people discussing my vagina. And um, in my first degree, I was sat with a group of people from my class and we were talking, we were discussing um, dating apps. And all of a sudden, one of the people who was like a girl who was sat next to me, she turns to the other girl and goes like, isn't she supposed to be a virgin? And I mean, immediately they talked about me in third person about my vagina. And it turns out like it is a thing that we are reduced to our sexuality or to our genitals and to our um, physical characteristics. Like people would stare at you and say, oh, your hair is like that or you're, I have normal hair. Your piece, Diagnosed with Syria, touches on this kind of sense of how the perception of a Syrian refugee... Yeah, we're we're seen as a one-dimensional problem, not human being. We're seen as a problem and we're seen as one-dimensional. So uh, in Diagnosed with Syria, I 
touched upon how we or actually I discussed how we don't receive equal support from healthcare professionals. Like you have to, everyone goes back and forth when it's a mental health issue. But when you're Syrian, like the first thing that my GP, it's based on my personal experience. And the first thing that my GP said is, oh, uh, you need sertraline. And he didn't even ask me, didn't talk to me. He was like, oh, you're from Syria. He looked at my profile and saw where I'm from. And he decided that I needed medication. And at the time I didn't need medication. I didn't have that much of, like, I was still suffering from a culture shock maybe because like what you expect like you expect to thrive in the UK because everyone is telling you that it's very welcoming and that they empower women and when you come here as a woman as a someone from the Middle East as a Muslim who is visibly Muslim you realize that no that's not the case and that's what I wanted to talk to my GP about but he just made a decision based on my um, nationality and Every time I went to seek support because of racism, because like I've been racially traumatized, like I think there's something called racial trauma, and because like I can't cope with the changes, but no one acknowledges what what's happening to you here. Like everyone is asking you about what happened back home, and like back home stayed back home. What happened in Syria stayed there. Now I'm suffering from things that yes, you do carry an emotional baggage with you, but. I need to move forward and they keep sending you back to Syria and like I mean emotionally and mentally they send you back to Syria and like I have problems here and I need to fix these problems here. I need to learn how to cope with microaggressions, I need to learn how to cope with discrimination, I need to know like how to how to live because I need to live. But no one recognizes you. They recognize you as a survivor. So you just survive, like they. if you're drowning, they pull you out of the water and they leave you on the beach. And they keep talking to you about how you were drowning or like what happened in the sea. And like right now I'm alive and I need to move forward, but no one, no one is helping you move forward and no one is letting you actually. There is this piece uh, that I've written for Refugee Week last, uh, last year. Um... It was called Together We Care. And one of the uh, stories was about a refugee or like an asylum seeker or someone who's stranded in the middle of nowhere and she's Syrian. And it was a metaphor of what's happening in my life since I arrived in the UK. So every time she pitches a tent, someone with a mansion comes and burns it down for her. And that's how I feel. Like every time I start something in this country, anything, I had big dreams before I came here and I just watch my dreams shrinking and shrinking until they're gone because they don't like people here don't think that I deserve to have a dream of any kind I just have to survive I just have to breathe and drink and eat and be grateful for that um so I feel like every time I start a project and someone sabotages that for me because like I'm talented and I'm not supposed to be talented I'm intelligent I'm not supposed to be intelligent in their opinion um Every time I start a small project, someone destroys that for me. And it's too frustrating because like what they're telling you indirectly, you should have died. You don't deserve to live. This is the message that I keep getting. You should Because to, to not dream, to not have hope of the future means that you're dead. I've, I've been always someone who has been described as a dreamer. And I thrive on dreams. And when people ask me, when was the happiest years of your life I say like between 2014 and 2016 in Syria when I was a young journalist and it's because 
I had a dream and I strongly believed in it. I strongly believed that things could get better. But now that you're here and there's like in Syria, we thought the war was standing between us and our dreams. And when you come here, there is no war. There's this silent emotional war and no one wants to recognize it. No one wants to acknowledge that you're going through it. And that's that's even far more traumatic than actually going through it. It's It reminds me of something that Malcolm X said, that they're, um, uh, they don't want to admit that there is a knife in the first place to start pulling it out of you. And yeah, they, they don't want to admit that. Or like, yeah, when I came here, I realized that my dreams were shrinking until they disappeared. And now my only dream is to have a normal life and, and establish a normal routine where I wake up in the morning, have coffee, go and see coworkers at work and then return home, probably go to the gym. Like I do go to the gym, but like I want to establish a routine where I feel grounded in this country. Like I belong here three years and I've been putting myself out there all the time. I know a lot of people and I still don't feel like I belong here or that I'm welcome here. I just feel like every message that I get, this is not your country. You don't belong here. And you're not supposed like you're supposed to just survive. Don't do more than that. And don't be yourself, of course, because like myself is quite confusing. I've been told for people here, like they're not probably used to seeing people like me, which I find very surprising because whenever I ask somebody like based on what, like, where are you getting these stereotypes from? Do you know any Syrians? They're like, no, we don't know. If I can at least know where the stereotypes are coming from, they can give me a book title or um, TV show that they're watching or who they're talking to so that I can know what they have in their heads because like the stereotypes are very surprising for me. Unless those people seriously don't know anything about the Middle East and what they know is probably from ridiculous films like The Physician and Sex and the City too and stuff like that. One of the things when we've been talking to artists for this series, it is how they use the creative process not merely to try to change that narrative, yeah, but to reduce the need for translation within how they want to express themselves. How do you use your creative process and, and what purpose do you see it playing, both for yourself more than anything else? Yeah, to be honest, um, I find it cathartic. I find that it gives me a safe platform to express myself because like usually you're writing works of fiction. So whenever someone accuses you of defamation or stuff like that, you got accused of as a journalist, you go like, Oh, it's fictional. So yeah, I'm, I've been finding arts very cathartic. Although like when I first came here, I didn't want to write about um, refugees or uh, migration experiences I wanted to write about completely different things. But when you come here because of all the emotional pressures and because you want somewhere to vent out, somewhere safe and somewhere where you feel you could reach people's hearts, even you're not going to change people. I don't like I, I had hoped that arts could change people, but no, actually it does probably, but not not to a big extent because um, that piece, uh, what was it called? Together we care. Um, a lot of people who listened to it, they were, they were very sympathetic. Like we we're looking for empathy and not sympathy, but they were sympathetic and they were like, I hope you feel welcome here. And then the same people who said, I hope you feel welcome here. This is very touching. They were the people who 
ostracized me and made me feel so unwelcome. So obviously it didn't do its job. It's not people when they listen to these pieces or these plays about refugees, they want to cry for two minutes and that's it. They don't carry the experience with them. But I don't care, to be honest. I just feel like I want to put things out there, probably because I'm a journalist. I have this character where I just, I need to just call people out on their bull. It, it just makes me feel better that I did this for myself, that I deserve to have a voice and I deserve to be heard, even if that doesn't change anything. Like, usually when we, like, I'm, I'm often asked, like, do you think you can change the world? No, I can't change the world, but... I deserve to call people out on their bullshit. I deserve to at least fight fight against injustices and against this unfair because the way people perceive you here means uh, it influences their behaviors. It's not just stereotypes in their heads. Like people would say, "Oh, you shouldn't care what they think of you." No, what they think of me or like of my nation or of Muslims or Middle Eastern women in general. Their thoughts translate into behaviors and how they treat me, into the opportunities that I have in this country, and into my the quality of my life. So yes, it matters what they think, and I'm ready to fight it as hard as I can, even if I don't make any change. But at least I know that I did something. I I hate to sit around and not do anything. So through art, I find. That because people are more open to arts than they are, for example, to the news and the media, because the media has a bad reputation. Arts should as well, but like it doesn't. Because yeah, but like art, like you think that art should be fighting injustices, but in fact, it's also another messed up industry. It's not much better than the media. It's just an extension to it in a way. It's yeah, it's in the same it has the same structural inequalities. Yeah. Difficulties that, that every other institution and organizations have in Yeah, true. The landscape. Yeah, that's so true. So what are you working on? What are you gonna work on next? Right now I'm working on a play for for children and it's an audio digital experience where children would like I'm I don't know much about the technical part, but uh, the children or uh, families in general it's not just for children because like adults they're like they're getting the political messages from these um they wear a headset and they walk around the park and they listen to what's happening to the play that's happening inside the park it's in Sheffield and Cliff Park I'm doing it with SBC theater and it's mostly about how refugees are received here in the UK and there are so many messages about inclusion, about accepting people, sharing your space with them and understanding that like land is for everyone. It's it's not like my country and yours. Uh, we've got a parliament of animals and insects and we've got um, a squirrel that loves riddles and doesn't like it when people come into his park. He makes his family throw nutshells at them. And what else? Um, we have a quite educated Robin <laughs> and a sassy raven. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very interesting. I'm loving it. I'm enjoying it. And SBC Theatre is a very, very empowering environment. Like working with them has been very empowering and it's been my safe space, to be honest. Although I had given up on theatre, like I thought like 
it's a toxic space. But then when I met people from SBC, I realized that there is hope. Artists Ideas Now is made by Liverpool Arab Arts Festival and artists on the front line. For more details on each artist, check out the show notes. If you want to find out more about the artists and the series or the festival, go to arabartsfestival.com.